You're listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. This podcast exists to encourage, empower, and equip you to share your story, and with it, the gospel. I just want to give a quick disclaimer before today's episode. On this episode, we discuss a sensitive topic, so if you're listening with kids, we recommend you listen by yourself first before sharing it with them. On today's episode, we sit down and listen to Colin Daniel's story. Colin believed he was saved in an early age, but later on reassessed his faith. From there, he went on to face down one of the biggest struggles facing our culture today, pornography. But we'll let him tell the story. Hey y'all, my name's Colin Daniel. Um, My wife's name is Hannah Daniel. We've been married for almost two years now, coming up August 10th, whoop whoop. Um, Today I'm gonna share my testimony, my story with y'all, and gonna go ahead and give y'all a disclaimer. Uh, Definitely don't have the most exotic or colorful uh, story, but um, something I've realized the, the longer I've shared my testimony with Um, people is it's very relatable and it is one that um, I I believe that a lot of listeners will be able to relate with so I was born in a Christian home in East Ridge Tennessee and my parents are both very strong believers my dad is a financial planner he's been a Uh, planner for 27 years and my mom was a dental hygienist until she had me and she decided to take the plunge and be a stay-at-home mom and um, actually homeschool um, which I I know a lot of people kind of kicked down but was a huge uh, uh, part of my story um, homeschooling was and uh, I grew up in just an amazing atmosphere um, seeing two parents that love each other uh, incredibly much and and love God first and so scripture and church and just really the Christian walk was something that um, I almost would say the word ingrained it was ingrained in me um, from an early age Um, I don't remember a lot of these but I hear stories from my grandparents and from my parents that from a young age talking four ages four or five I was you know out in public with them and I've I've never met a stranger and uh you know I was I was that person you'd you'd be in an elevator with and you really did not want to be in an elevator with me because I would just start talking to you and uh I would go up to complete strangers and the first thing I'd ask them is do you have Jesus in your heart and people were always confused they're like what do I have juice in my heart like what, what is this kid saying um, but that was just something that was important to me at that age was knowing is everybody, you know, does everybody know Jesus? Like, you know, the stories my parents have told me, I just, I just wanted to know if everybody, you know, had Jesus in their heart. So actually at age six, uh, for actually it was, it was on Mother's Day, 
my mom and I sat down and we were doing a Bible Bible time together. And uh, I remember telling her, you know, mom, I want to make you happy. And, um, you know, I think that I want to ask Jesus into my heart. And so, for, you know, from, from there I prayed a prayer and, um, you know, really thought at that point that I was a Christian. But um, that was really just kind of the start of my journey um, and realizing what uh, being a true Christian looks like, not a cultural Christian or a convenience Christian. Um, so really from that point on, um, I really started learning, you know, about the world around me. Um, I was homeschooled, but yet you can never be um, protected from everything that's that's out there. And I really just started um, uh, being exposed to just honestly total junk that's out in the world. And um, I can't remember exactly what age that I was first exposed to uh, pornography, but I know it was around the age 10 or 11. And, uh, you know, again, as an innocent child, just not expecting to come across something um, crude um, or something that could potentially change my life. But, um, you know, I, I saw a pornographic image and really it just started um, just a whole new way of life for me, a life of guilt, a life of um, hiding things from my parents, um, being really two-faced and learning to become a good liar. And uh, yeah, I just it was it was not good. And um, looking back, you know, I many times I've I've wondered what what would have happened, you know, if I hadn't, you know, been exposed at such a young age. But um, the phrase that I always come back to is, you know, God God allowed it to happen for a reason. And um, I'm going to share with y'all how that was a part of my story in coming to truly know Him. Um, so like I said, I was, I was very two-faced, uh, very secretive. I learned really quickly how to um, totally uh, just be a different person out in public. You know, I wanted everyone to think that I was just this great kid. Um, I wanted as many friends as possible, so I wanted to be as trustworthy as possible. And, uh, you know, I, I became a different person um, just because of the fact that I felt like I had to act differently out in public and then behind closed doors. I knew, you know, I had things that I struggled with. And um, so... Really, from that point on, from that age on, it just began a cycle for me, you know, almost a crazy cycle of um, going and going back to this source that I knew was wrong, I knew inherently that it was wrong, but there was just something that always drew me back to it, and uh, it got really bad um, towards, towards high school, um, talking, m viewing things multiple times a day, um, sadly, and it was just getting out of control. It was spinning out of control. And I started seeing other areas of my life change. Um, whereas I, you know, when I was homeschooled, um, 
you know, I always wanted to be the good kid. I never wanted to do any wrong. Um, by the time I went to a private Christian school um, to play baseball, I now my focus was being the popular kid and um, doing whatever I could to have as many friends as possible, um, which meant, you know, is is crude of jokes as you could think of at the lunch table and, um, you know, just belittling people around me, um, being a liar to my friends, um, cursing a lot, uh, just things that, you know, I never would have seen myself doing. And the crazy thing was I always was looking for excuses. Um, I would look to my friends. I would look at people around me and I saw how they were living their lives and, you know, there was drugs and drinking and partying and, and having sex and um, I always would look at them and go, well, you know, at least I'm not doing those things. At least I'm, you know, I'm on a, I'm on better footing than they are. Um, and so I was very quick to kind of excuse myself from my own struggles and try to look past it and I became very numb so really this cycle just continued through high school again nobody would have ever guessed um, you know the person that I was behind closed doors because like I said I um, just tried to tried to fit in with everybody and tried to um, also to adults appear that I was the best kid you know that they could know and um, you know I became a mini Pharisee in that I was very quick to um, you know point fingers at the people around me and um, really in reality I should have had two fingers pointing back to me and uh, throughout my high school years um, I actually went on a few mission trips to the Dominican Republic and they were very impactful for me and uh, I remember we had a guest speaker um, every time and even though there was multiple different uh, guest speakers, the theme was almost the same every year, which just shows that it was a, it was a God thing. But the same message was uh, preached just about every trip I went on, um, a message of, you know, thinking that you're a Christian, but what proof is there? What, what is there to back that up? You know, what fruits do you have to show for that? And every time that was preached, it, uh, it always hit a sore spot for me. Uh, I got very uncomfortable. You know, I'd see people at the end of the sermon go up front and pray a prayer and, you know, go to the altar and just always felt a pull, but yet um, because I was so worried about what the people around me thought about me, it just, I could never do it um, because, you know, in my dad's eyes and then the people I was on the trip in their eyes, you know, I'm this great Christian dude and I'm on this mission trip so I, I can't go in front of a bunch of people and admit that you know I don't even know if I am a Christian so this continued on and um, even in even in church I grew up like I said I grew up in church so we were in church just about every time the doors were open and um, you know I had this repeated message and it was like it was speaking to me every time um, but I was very quick to ignore it because I told myself, you know, Colin, you, you prayed to prayer when you were six years old. You should be fine. You, know, you should be covered. And, uh, you know, continue to live any way I wanted to. Um, 
not thinking of uh, furthering his kingdom. I was always thinking of furthering my own kingdom. And so finally, um, one day, um, I remember the date actually, it was October 28, 2015. Um, like I said, I went to a, a private Christian school, so something uh, that we always did was, was chapel services every week. And so um, on one of these days, um, I was going to get my seat to uh, get ready for chapel. Um, you know, of course, was goofing off with my friends, was getting in my chair already, Snapchatting people and um, texting as many people as I could because, you know, my plan was to never listen because I didn't need to know any anything else. I, I knew everything there was to know about the Bible, at least I thought in my mind. And, uh, you know, I had been ignoring so many of these chapel services, but I remember very distinctly hearing a voice saying, Colin, you need to put your phone down and you need to listen. And I obeyed. I, I listened to that voice. I obeyed that voice and I put my phone down and that sermon changed my life. Um, Pastor Tony was actually the speaker or the, the, the preacher in that um, day and he, uh, he shared a very familiar message that I had been hearing, um, you know, for the past few years, and uh, but he told it in a in a in a different way, and uh, I think my ears were open this time, my eyes were open a little more, uh, my heart was softened, um, and it was just it was the right timing, and uh, he shared, you know, how he was so concerned about so many of the kids in the room, um, you know, living through life, thinking that they were a true believer, but yet, you know, what what assurance did they have for that? How what was there, what 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 evidence was there to back that up? And uh, you know, again, like I said, a very, very similar message to what I kept hearing when I was in the Dominican Republic, when I was hearing in church, um, when I was hearing at summer camps. Um, it was just you know, this is finally to the point where I was like, okay, I need to listen to this. And uh, the big theme that really just struck me um, was him talking about the difference of us choosing Jesus as our Savior versus us making Jesus our Lord of our lives. Um, and that word Lord, you know, obviously I've, I had heard it a lot in the past, but I just had never really thought much into what does it mean to make Jesus my Lord? You know, he expounded that that means to make him Lord over everything. That means you don't hold back the things of the flesh, the things that you enjoy or the things that you want to keep for yourself. Um, you you give him everything. You lay everything at his feet. And uh, it just really struck me that this whole time I had been holding back the things that Colin wanted, the things that my flesh wanted. Um, you know, whether that be the the secret sin of, of lust or, um, you know, that be talking behind people's backs or, um, you know, just the, the, the pridefulness that I had or my image or, you know, so many different elements of my life. I was in that moment just had pictures in my mind of how I was living for me. And he showed an illustration. I'll, I'll try to explain it the best I can. I, I know um, sometimes it, it's better just to see it in an image, but um, he had two two chairs 
on the stage. And he pointed out to both the chairs and he said, one of these chairs, this is my flesh. This other chair, this is, this is Jesus. So he sat down in the, in the flesh chair. You know, he said, obviously, we were born into this. We were born into, you know, acting in our flesh. And uh, he tried to pick up the chair he was sitting in, the flesh chair, and sit also in the, uh, the chair that represented Jesus. And, of course, he almost fell on the stage because you can't really stack two chairs on top of each other and try to sit in them. And so he showed us what it looks like to truly just let go and he stood up out of the chair he was sitting in, the flesh chair, and went and uh, sat in the chair that represented Jesus. And he said, you physically have to leave um, all the things of the flesh and cling to Jesus. And it just broke me in that moment that, you know, I had been choosing a very convenient um, Christianity. Um, you know, when things were convenient for me, that's when I'd pull Jesus off the shelf and, uh, and you know, talk about my Christianity. But when it wasn't convenient for me, it was, I was very quick to put him right back on that shelf. And there was no true relationship there. It was just always a religion. It was always um, about me uh, appearing a certain way to people. And uh, hearing him say that and really just seeing that just broke me and made me realize, okay, you thought, you know, this prayer at six years old did the trick. Well, obviously, you didn't really truly understand what, you know, Christianity is at six years old. And how could I, you know, as a six-year-old? And uh, so in that moment, um, I prayed a prayer and... Uh, I did something that I had not, I'd have been, I'd been too scared to do before. And he asked whoever prayed that prayer, you know, to stand up in front of the auditorium. And there, you know, there are hundreds of kids in the, in the room. And, uh, and I stood up and I was unashamed of it. And um, I was proud of the fact that, you know, I had a new name. I had a new lifestyle now. And, um, I just remember going through the rest of that school day just so giddy to go home and tell my parents. And uh, so I, I got home and, you know, had a called a, a parent conference together. And, and I, growing up as a kid, I definitely cried a little too much. But the older I've gotten, definitely have uh, become less emotional and just don't cry a whole lot. But this was one of those moments that I was just sobbing and I just couldn't, I, I couldn't control it um, just because the weight of, um, you know, the, the true relationship and, and the sacrifice that Jesus made for me just, it hit me. And uh, I remember telling them that and, um, you know, apologizing to them for so long that I had just been faking things. And I remember my mom looking at me. Of course, she's, she's crying as well at that point. And she said, Colin, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for this for the last three years, or few years. And I'm so happy this day has finally come because I could tell something was wrong, something was not right. And um, so I've been praying for you. So I truly believe it was the prayers that my mom had prayed for me that drew me to him. Um, and uh, it just, it, it rocked my world. And, um, you know, I wish... I could tell you that um, since that day that 
I've not struggled again with the struggles that I had before with the lust, with the with the pornography. But you know, something I have learned um, is to really just take the pressure off myself because it's not all about a performance. It's not all about a religion. It's about a relationship. And um, being a firstborn, um, being a, uh, well, my, my wife recently has got me into the Enneagram stuff, being a type three on the Enneagram. Um, I've always sought to be perfect and achieve and um, really just put a lot of pressure on myself. And something I learned um, that day that, um, and, and, and continuing to learn um, since I've been saved is that it's not about me. It's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did for me. And that freedom, um, taking those chains off, actually frees me to want to do the right thing and to want to live for Him and to not feel... Um, forced to or that I have a checklist that I have to um, complete and I've seen just a huge huge change in my life since then and in fact uh, you know I can go to one of the stories of um, I found this out years years later but my mom actually came and told me um, that the day that I came home um, from uh, from accepting Christ that my brother came in the room afterwards, and um, he had heard, you know, what we were talking about. And uh, his statement to my mom was, "Yeah, right. We'll we'll see if anything changes with him." And uh, and and I totally understand again what where that statement came from, why he said that, because for so many years, I as the older brother had um, really taken a lot of things out on my brother, and um, just again was was not living a Christ-filled life and so um, I was I put him down a lot and uh, so I hurt him a lot and so our relationship was um, definitely strained because of that um, but the cool thing is looking back now from the day that I uh, truly believe I um, got saved um, our relationship has radically changed my, my, mine and my brothers and, and my parents um, and, uh, you know, to the point where I even had my brother ask my brother if he could be the best man in my wedding. And um, God just did a huge work in our relationship and a lot of my relationships with my friends, um, like I said, with my parents. Um, all, the, all the ways that I had been hurtful in the past, um, I just saw my life through a different lens now. And so it was now not about me. It was about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, so since that day, my life has just been radically different. Um, you know, I dealt with anxiety. I dealt with, um, like I said, the, the stress and the um, pressures of performing and being this um, un really unrealistic person. And uh, now it's just, you know, it's real, it's authentic. Um, it's a, it's a it's a true love I have um, for Jesus and and it just seeps out in my everyday life um, and and I don't have that anxiety that I had before I don't have all those pressures that I had to um, almost to be a Pharisee um, so I tell you this 
to um, encourage anyone who's listening that you know even though my story is probably pretty similar to a lot um, of of men and and and, and boys out there, um, God is faithful. He's true, and He will release you um, from the clutches of the enemy, even when things seem hopeless or that they're spiraling out of control. Um, he has you in his hands, and um, he will he will never um, leave you to um, just rot in just the the grossness of um, of sin. And uh, he truly did that for me. He saved me from um, a lifestyle that I shudder to think about where I would be today if I hadn't had that. Um, radical encounter with him so um, and to this day um, I'm still learning um, I definitely am not uh, completely there and have all the answers I have it all figured out but I'm in a totally different place and just a radically different place and um, you know God blessed me with um, an amazing wife who um, loves me and supports me and is just who I needed and uh, he's continually molding me to uh, become the man that he wants me to be and it's it's a work and I'm definitely a work in progress but um, God definitely radically saved me from a, uh, a lifestyle that um, was very destructive um, so there you go First, I want to say thank you for joining us, Colin. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. And as I kind of mentioned in our little break there, I have a very similar story in a lot of ways. And I think you'd be surprised how many people can benefit from it. So mm. thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, first question, how'd you meet Hannah? Oh, this is a fun story. This one is a little more colorful. So I can actually say this is this has got, you know, good good background behind it. So... I went to uh, Lee University for college and um, was in a business management class. And I was one of those guys that always sat on the back row and didn't really pay attention in class. And Hannah was the opposite. She would sit close to the front and she would kind of, she was smart though. She, she didn't go front, front row because then you're going to get called on every time. So she kind of went towards the middle so that. She didn't look like the, you know, back row Baptist, but also... They're no you know, Baptists at Lee. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, I was <laughs> I was one of them. Um, yeah, hard to believe. Page was two. Come on. 
but well, um, so was Aaron anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, um, anyways, she was late one day, and there was only one seat available in the class, and it was next to me. So she sat beside me, and on that day, the professor had us do an exercise of the importance of eye contact. So she, of course, is very quickly trying to find somebody else. Um, you know, there was a girl that was sitting beside her. She had already found her partner. And I'm just sitting there like, this is going to be fun. I, I, I really hope that we get stuck together. Sure enough, we did. And uh, so for a solid minute, 60 seconds, we had to stare into each other's eyes. So anyways, that's the moment that she fell in love with me. Was, so she had to get lost yeah, in your eyes, yeah, right? She got lost in my eyes. So, yeah. and then just from there, you know, went went totally downhill. No, um, <laughs> she's still trying to find still, her way out. She's still lost in there. But um, yeah, and then that same day, also, we got put in a group project together. So, God just totally set me up, and from there, it's history. That's cool. Yeah, that is hilarious. <laughs> That's not appreciate me. Wait, so how story. long did you have to look into each other's eyes? He said a minute. A minute. Sixty sorry, seconds. No, you're good. Okay. Sixty seconds. I've yeah, seen a research was, video about that same thing. She was so. trying to look all over the place. <laughs> and I was sitting there laughing and staring at her face like I'm doing oh to you right gosh. now, Kish. I'm very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do I would not you can't. I would not do well. I can't do it. I can do it with some people. Yeah. If I know you really well, then it's not a problem. But like, if I don't know you, you get two seconds and I'm gone. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. So it's obviously really important. I mean, it got me a wife. So. Well, there you go. I guess can't, that's all that matters. Can't argue. Can't argue. All right. Now for the hard questions. Oh no! It's no more softballs. No, welcome to real baseball. Speaking <laughs> heavy, of heavy hitters. Did you have no? Yeah. So, speaking of no more softballs, you played baseball. I did. What position? I was shortstop, and up until my senior year, I was shortstop, and then I was third base. Third baseman my senior year. Loved it. Loved it. And you're coaching now? I am. Yeah. How do you like it? I love it. Well, Definitely love the love outweighs the um, toughness of it um, because it, coaching kids is like herding cats sometimes. Um, but it's a very re- rewarding thing seeing kids develop. So I definitely never thought I would get the chance to do it. Um, I only played through high school. I, d- I decided not to go the college ball route because I wanted to focus on school, but um, God just kind of opened up some doors, and I've done it for the past, I want to say five years, six years, so yeah, five years, I think it's five years, All right. so love it. I know they respect you just based on, so for those of you who don't know, me and Colin co-lead a, a small group of middle school boys, although I'm moving up to high school now, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he started inviting his his baseball guys to come and hang out with us at our uh, our youth group, and there's like twenty of them who showed up one night. Yeah, I apologize for bringing another aspect of craziness to uh, <laughs> to our small group. Hey, I don't care. Most but, of them didn't end up in our group, so yeah, <laughs> it didn't affect yeah, me. <laughs> that's true. It was good. 
Yeah, uh, I love them. I love them. All right. Well, those were the T-ball questions. Oh, so now we're getting let's, hard. Let's get let's get a little, a little deeper now. here. Curveball. So, do you think it's important for people who claim to have been saved at an early age to sort of reassess their salvation? Mm. That's a really good question, and I've pondered that a lot um, because a lot of my family members would tell you that they got saved at a very early age. I would say yes because of my experience, but again, I'm biased towards that because, again, that's, that is my whole testimony was praying a prayer at six years old and thinking I'm good. But I just I don't think you can fully grasp the the weight of a decision like that at that age mm-hmm. because it's a it's a big decision i mean you're 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 signing your life I mean, it's like you're signing your life over you know and as a five or six year old i feel like you have a hard time truly grasping what all that entails other than well, i don't want to go to hell and you know i want to be in heaven with with God and Jesus. Like, that's really the extent it was for me at that age. So I would say, yes, probably reevaluate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, I mean, the weight of your sin doesn't even hit you no. until right. you're a little older. You're right. Yep. Well, with that, what kind of encouragement or maybe challenge would you give to people who find themselves more in the religion category mm. more than the relationship category? Yeah. So, again, and just turn back to scripture you see and I, and I mentioned this earlier in my story of kind of what I became but look at the Pharisees Jesus you know he didn't hold any punches you brood of vipers you know it was they made everything all about religion made everything all about rules um, and really a lot of man-made rules that that kind of got added in but I think there's a lot of people who are religious people but there's a big difference with um, being religious and kind of holding to a set of rules versus having a true relationship. Uh, the cool thing that I've learned about the relationship is giving myself grace and not holding myself to unrealistic standards that I think I did before. Um, I know a big topic of conversation for my wife and I, we were early married um, we kind of came from different backgrounds um, of how we were we were raised in our faith, but you know a big topic for us was you know di- the different sins. Obviously, you know some we put more of a weight on than others, and as as opposed to looking at all sins on the on an equal playing field on the on the same um, uh, board. And just realizing that different sins have different consequences. Um, so I think when you start getting really heavily into the religion, you are creating in your mind almost like a set of um, beliefs and standards that can very easily become man-made as opposed to straight from scripture so there's just a total difference between that and a relationship because a relationship gives you something that you can really i guess look to and 
um, learn from and kind of give yourself a little more leeway, but realizing that it's not you, it's it's Jesus that that He died for our sins. I I, I didn't I didn't go and die on a cross. So, well, and that that brings up a great kind of talking point I wanted to touch on is the comparison of sin between man's perspective and God's. Mm-hmm. Something that I've been learning over the last year is maybe even longer than that to be honest man has this perspective of sin that has a a hierarchy of like mm-hmm. murder and adultery is like up here at like nine mm-hmm. and then little white lies down here at a one yeah um, but what i'm kind of growing personally in and learning is you know that little white lie just once let's say somebody lived a flawless life except for one lie that still requires the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Mm, it's enough to separate us. Exactly. That one little thing in God's eyes is no different from a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And in man's perspective, it's all the same. And we justify our actions based on comparison, which you talked about, mm-hmm. kind of what you went through in pub, uh, private school, looking at the kids who were maybe partying, drinking, and going out and doing all sorts of crazy things. But... Um, how God's perspective is totally different. Mm-hmm. And um, just curious what what kind of brought you to that realization? Yeah, I think just realizing and and, and I didn't mention this in um, you know and when I was sharing my story, but realizing what I appeared to Christ as before I was a Christian was just, Really, the image I had in my mind was just this dirty, rotten rag, and you know, I and I had that imagery, and I just could not escape. You know, this is this is who I am because of you know, my lifestyle, and because I've never truly surrendered everything to Him. Um, you know, even though in other people's eyes, I probably was a pretty good kid. Um, you know, like I said, I could put on a pretty good face for people and I think when you start getting into weighing the different sins it does excuse it's it's a it's a big excuse for us to you know oh I won't do this over here I won't be a serial killer or I won't commit you know adultery but I'm gonna go lie over here and I'll, I'm gonna steal and you know just these, these small they're not, not that big of a deal you know I'm gonna uh, make sure that I get this, you know, business deal, even if I have to go underhandedly, but it won't matter because I'm, you know, it's, it's going to help my family out. So, you know, so I think that's the danger of it. And, and when I realized, you know, like I said, I realized here I am this dirty, rotten rag. It just, I got to a point where it didn't matter what it was that I was doing because there's a lot of, because again, I sin daily. Hmm. It didn't matter what it was that I was doing. I realized it was separating me from him and uh yeah it just i don't know if i yeah no no absolutely and and one last little point that just hit me while you were saying that was it's interesting that all these sins that we categorize as lesser faults if you will that we categorize that way are all things that are typically secretive that aren't out on display for everyone to see true all the ones that people can visibly judge you on are typically the ones that are put on the the spotlight of, mm-hmm. Oh, that's horrific. Yeah. 
That's true. Yeah, it's like it's like what Jesus was telling us. You know, if you commit adultery in your heart, then you've committed, you committed adultery. adultery. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Now, while you're talking, I was I looked up uh, James two, uh, verses eight through thirteen because uh, I've been reading through James again, and mm. it reminds me of this. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Hmm. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Hmm. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Preach. exactly what y'all are saying. Yeah. Like, every, every sin, it's not a comparison game. They are all equally as heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way we can break free of them, the only grace we can find is at the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, I want to ask this question. Uh, how should people kind of go about evaluating their faith? Um, mm-hmm. how, how would you recommend determining whether you're you're living in this place of uh, comparing sins and just being a Pharisee and being religious versus like you're actually doing it, walking with God and having that relationship with Jesus? Yeah, I've definitely uh, had a lot of conversations about this recently. I think it's a matter of looking at your heart um, doing doing some soul searching and seeing okay what is it that is driving me to do these things and if you see a if you see a, if you see patterns in your life chances are you know you're you are living in your flesh and you're missing it um, so I think you know evaluating again the root of where it comes from and it, it all boils it goes back to your heart and uh, for me I know for me personally that was the moment that I realized okay my heart's wicked all I want to do really is these wrong things the the things of, that were you know that were of God were not fun for me they were not I didn't have a, really a desire for them and so changing my mindset and changing my heart to okay, it's not about me, it's about him. And uh, I think if you know we evaluate our hearts and we see what is it we're truly desiring, that, that's kind of where you can kind of root it all back to. Yeah, I mean, it's an old adage, but actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you can say you believe and have faith all you want to. You can say you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, but... If the things you're actually doing don't line up with that, then... The fruits, yeah. Yeah, the fruits, yeah, exactly. The fruits. Yeah. I like what you were saying about your brother. Like, he just noticed a change. Yep. He noticed something was different about your life. And that's what that's what we should all be looking for. If you mm-hmm. don't see any difference, then uh, something's wrong. Yeah. Oh, and, and just to quickly ask, you kind of hinted at this, but I'm curious... What's your relationship with your brother like today? Cause yeah, you said that you asked him to be your best man. I'm assuming he said yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I didn't really go into that. Yeah, and uh, and it was really cool too seeing him at my wedding. It was a pretty emotional moment um, because he yes he did uh, accept 
uh, my invitation for him to be my best man. And, um, man, it was emotional because we had gotten so close for him to see me now in his eyes leave was very hard. Well, I don't, I don't think if we had been in that place, you know, where I was before, I don't think he would have thought twice about it. You know, he would have batted an eye that, oh, okay, Colin's out of the house now and I'm not going to see him as much anymore. But it was, it was tough and it was, it was a pretty emotional time. You know, he, he had everybody in the room crying by the time he was done with his um, best man speech. So we're in a really great place. Um, and again, that's from God. God radically changed me. Um, God's done a lot of work in him too, but um, my brother's definitely um, more laid back than I am. So it was always really, if we had issues, it was because I was kind of going at him or, um, like I said, putting him down or talk, talking down on him. And so I had to have a heart change and I had to view him differently. I, I, I couldn't look at him as, oh, dumb little brother anymore it was now you know Braden's awesome and he's a he's a very unique person and I love him and so changing you know that like I said that that change in heart just we're in a radically different place so it's cool to see just even that one relationship change from my salvation that's awesome kind of going from there uh talking about family were you at any point able to talk to your parents about what you're facing struggling with porn yes yeah and that was a conversation i had with my mom and my dad um it was tough for them because um my mom was honestly amazing but she was one of those very unpopular moms in that she knew what was out there and so she she had a lot of restrictions um you know on our social media and on our electronic devices and on the tv and everything and she was very wise with that but again of course i was always finding looking for loopholes um and so there had been moments where you know they had found out some things and had been very 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 hurtful and she was very distraught and so uh, yes, I definitely had conversation with them, but one of the, the conversations I remember specifically was with was actually with my mom, and you know she had talked about how it was very tough on her because she had almost felt like she had let us down as a mom because she wasn't able to protect us from this. And of course, I had to tell her, "You've done an amazing job. It's just it's out there. You know, it's it's, it's everywhere." And I think I really was able to really just give her a piece about it when I told her mom I think God used my struggle with porn to realize I needed him and if it weren't for that for me to realize okay this is something I absolutely cannot control and I just I, I suck as a person because of this you know I, I don't know if it would have if I would have realized the importance and the need of falling at his feet like I did so I think when I when I, you know when I explained that to her it she realized, okay, you know, again, what, you know, and, and the Bible talks about this, what man meant for evil, God used for good. And so here was, here was something that, you know, was evil, but yet God used it as a part of my testimony to realize, like I said, you're a dirty, rotten rag. Okay, you need me. You can't do it on your own. Quit trying to do it on your own. 
So, um, yes, and and they were um, just thankful to see a change in me because, you know, even though you have these, it's it's really interesting, even though you have these secret, you know, quote-unquote secret sins, it seeps out into your everyday life, you know? I mean, I was a... I was a mean person because of it. You know, I had bitterness with people. So it, just seeing my outward, like how I acted in front of them change, showed them, hey, this is the real deal, you know, so. Yeah. Um, this one, I'm going to preface this. This okay. might be a little too personal, okay. so feel free to not answer it. Yeah. But did you talk with Hannah about it? Yes, yes. So... Um, without going too much into detail just about, um, her past, cause she's not on the show right now. Um, she had been hurt very deeply in the, in the past by this specific sin. So, um, it is pretty interesting to me that God put us together knowing that, Hey, this was, you know, this was my main struggle. Um, so of course I had to disclose to her you know, listen, Hannah, I, this has been a struggle for me. Um, definitely have not just completely overcome it, and there are still days where I have to fight temptation really hard. Um, but yes, I told her she was definitely prepared for it. Um, she's handled it amazing um, since we've been married. But yeah, it was definitely not fun, converse, not really easy conversations. Um, but they need to be sometimes, you know, the tough conversations are the ones that really need to be had to see growth and to see healing. And I think her seeing me striving to be a godly man and live a life that is pleasing to him, um, knowing that I'm human, but knowing that I'm really striving to do the right thing. I think it's brought a lot of healing for her, realizing that, okay, not every dude is just absolutely screwed up and, you know, unfixable. So mm. God's definitely used that, again, you know, used it to bring me to Him, but then also in our in our marriage is used, you know, my humanness to actually bring us closer together. Yeah, I mean, you touched on something there that I think is really important because... You said she's kind of expecting it, and I feel like, unfortunately, that's sad and terrifying at the same time because I think it's that way for everybody. Uh, it's definitely a conversation I had to have. Yep. And it's just sad how our culture has trended towards that. Mm-hmm. But I think what you said was really cool that she's kind of able to see some of your sanctification, mm-hmm. that you had struggled through that, but you came out of it, and God brought you out of it. And I think there's so much grace there and honestly just brings glory to God. Mm-hmm. Um, but is also like you leading your your wife, which yeah. is just really, really cool. Yeah. Um, because one, you're being honest about it. But two, you are that is a testimony in and of itself between you and her. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, the word that, that comes to my mind when hearing you kind of talk about that is freedom. Mm-hmm. Yes. Total freedom. You know, realizing and, and, and kind of diving into that, that's a part of my story as well, is always feeling that I had to perform for people to love me and like me. 
And so realizing that, hey, I can be completely raw and authentic and vulnerable with somebody and them still accept me and not run away, you know, not run away screaming the other direction, it showed me, okay, you know, God has really gone before me and I am lovable even though I'm not perfect, yeah. you know, and I'm not there. Well, none of us are there. We're not, we're not in heaven, you know? So, um, yeah, that's definitely been a very freeing thing for me. Yeah, finding your identity in Christ rather than being the class clown or the popular kid or the, the baseball player, whatever it may be, yeah. you know, just finding your identity in Him, like you said. It's... All right, we'll have a few, a few more questions for us um, specifically about porn and kind of ways that we can handle it and address it. Um, Mike, I want your input on this as well. All right. Um, so, you know, there's there's this trend in, in our culture that is pushing for pornography to become uh, more normal, hmm. uh, more healthy. Um, that's an idea that's really honestly being pushed on teenagers, I feel, um, and to an extent even some younger kids, I would say, um, that we really need to work to counter. So... What would you say the dangers of pornography addiction are? Mm. Wow, there's a lot. Um, one of them is definitely, and, and, I, and I experienced it, was um, viewing women differently and um, being very quick to um, objectify women or, or you know, almost treat them as objects. Which is just not how God intended it to be. And society has definitely pushed that. You see it, you know, you can't go in the store without seeing magazine covers where, you know, everything is, is sexed up. It really is. It's sad. Um, but even just the studies done on what, how it affects the brain, um, how it affects relationships, um, I do think... Uh, guys who are deep into it um, struggle more with anger. Um, that's actually been scientifically proven, and I saw it for myself. Like I said, you know, outwardly I was a totally different person um, when I was knee deep in that. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's rampant for sure, and um, just got to be on guard because. It's around every corner, and um, I'm one of those, you know, people probably, especially nowadays, think I'm a really weird person because I have, you know, my devices on lockdown, um, because just not because I think I'll go back to a lifestyle of just total addiction or whatever, but also know that I'm human, mm -hmm. and I know that there are days I'm weaker than others, you know, days that... Maybe I'm stressed out or maybe Hannah and I had a fight or, you know, a business deal didn't go through like I expected it to. And those are going to be, you know, pretty quick triggers for me to think back on my past and um, my past struggles. So having things locked down to where I don't really even have a chance to access it is huge. And it's been very, honestly, you think locking down, you know, stuff would be like prison it's actually very freeing and i feel freer than i've ever felt in my life so 
Yeah. Um, having safety mechanisms, I'll call them, in place, is to me, it's a no-brainer. It's like, I'm going to have a smoke detector in my house. I'm going to have a fire extinguisher. I'm not going to take the risk of losing something that you've worked towards, which is freedom from that with God's grace and help. Of course, it's, as you've said multiple times, not anything that we can do on our own. And I don't want to make it sound like that, but God gives us the wisdom and common sense to be prepared and to use tools that are available to us to prevent that. So I I think that's great. Um, Honestly, I would challenge anybody listening. If you don't have some sort of safety mechanism put in place to do it, uh, we have it on our Wi-Fi here. Just, Why not? If it's there, it's free. Why not? You're not losing anything by having it in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. I mean, I, definitely some other dangers. I, I I don't know all the science behind it. I'm not a science guy. <laughs> well, I am, but I'm not an armchair science person. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, it, it does alter your, your brain. Um, mm-hmm. You can look up. There's this thing called Fight the New Drug. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They they talk a lot about this. Now they're not a Christian group. I'm just gonna throw that out there. No, but I want to I want to pause you there. A secular organization Realizes. is talking about. Yeah. Yes. The, so yeah. it's it's not this, if you will, prude Christian mentality of pornography being bad. It's mm-hmm. a secular non-Christian organization is saying, hey, this is very dangerous stuff. There's a lot of consequences. There's a lot of negative effects that are happening constantly and hearing some of the people's stories if if you've ever heard of it um fantastic i'm not necessarily saying go search them out because i haven't looked into them entirely but what i have seen is again non-christian people coming forward and saying this ruined my life and it's not people necessarily that are partaking in the industry of making pornography. It's people that have consumed it mm-hmm. and it's life ruining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They've got some, I'm going to say this, they've got some big name like people on there too. Like Terry Crews is on there and supports them. Mm-hmm. Um, like an advocate. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. an advocate for what they're doing. So I'm dead, like you're saying, just goes to show. Even secular society realizes there's a problem here. If the world's recognizing something is bad, then it's how bad, bad is it? It's probably bad. And one thing I'll, I will point out is, you know, um, it perpetuates uh, sex trafficking, sex slavery. Mm. Yep. Um, we're we're all very aware of that. So if you're doing that, then like you are continuing that thing. In fact. Uh, I've got a quote saved from David Platt uh, from his book Counterculture. He says um, that, you know, viewers of pornography are similar to pre-Civil War churchgoers who use the Bible to support slavery. It's mm. a pretty big statement, but heavy. if you yeah. are out there and you are calling yourself a, a follower of Christ and you are still just actively pursuing this sin— then you're no better than those people who were supporting slavery back then because you are supporting slavery right now. It looks a little different, and you might not be totally aware of it and see it every day, but you're supporting that. So that's something to be aware of. Well, um, I think each of us behind these mics 
can say that there are challenges facing teenagers concerning sexuality and sexual identity that are a little more prevalent and maybe more extreme uh, than we necessarily face at our age or when we were that age, I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering if you could explain to someone struggling with their sexual uh, sexuality or their sexual identity um, what their actual God-given identity is, where that comes from, what it looks like. So it's interesting you ask that because for me, I feel like well, myself personally and just the church, you know, we were just talking about sins that we kind of, you know, equate this sins higher up and this and this is, oh gosh, look at this person over here. I think this is one of those where, you know, we do see somebody who struggles with their sexuality. And, of course, we're very quick to point fingers and, and, and judge them. But, again, it's no different than somebody who is struggling with pornography behind the scenes that nobody knows what's going on. Um, I think looking biblically, you know, obviously look at Genesis and, and what, how did God create humans? Male and female, he created them. From the get-go, there was, there was just two sexes. So if we look at Scripture and we truly believe what Scripture says and we don't pull and take what we want to take from Scripture, mm-hmm. that's how God originally designed it and intended it to be. And again, if you look at any of the relationships in the Bible, do you ever see any homosexual relationships in the Bible? No. The healthy the only relationships. Time, the only time you do is what? Sodom and Gomorrah. What happens to that city? It's burned with fire and brimstone. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. Again, just being real. So... If we're really looking and observing the Bible for what it is as opposed to picking and choosing what we want or pulling out pages that we don't really want to see because they, you know, trigger us or offend us or whatever, it's in there. It, it, it's every single, really any relationship. I mean, look at look at Boaz and Ruth. Like, look at the relationship. That, look at, um, well, I can't say David because, you know. Uh, <laughs> not a good example, but um, but again, any of the relationships you see that Scripture talks about that are healthy, mm-hmm. it actually does talk about relationships that where there are you know many wives or you know many spouses, um, and guess what? It sheds light that those are unhealthy. So any of the ones that are healthy, it it put, sheds light on that for us. So you know, I think God gave us Scripture for us to observe and discern and actually put our thinking hats on sometimes but it's there you know it shows you that'll give you the answer if anybody's ever wondering it's there just look for it and i will say too because something that is becoming more of an issue is uh polyamorous relationships mm-hmm. where you can be in a relationship with more than one person. Mm-hmm. But the Bible addresses that too. It does. And people constantly point to people like Abraham or David and say, well, they had multiple wives. It's like they were not painted in a good light. No. That no. was that was implying that what they were doing was a sin and it was wrong and it was ultimately a part of their downfall. It was an example for us of what not to do, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. So, again, like I think you're hitting it. Like Scripture is the place to go if you want to figure out a healthy idea of what your sexuality should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I bring that up, because I think I think all of these things that we're seeing uh, in our culture now involving sexual identity have the same root problem as porn, 
where people are trying to turn towards the wrong things to figure out who they are and who God made them to be and how they were designed as a human being. And they're turning to media. They're turning towards culture. Um, they're turning towards TikTok. TikTok, <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> I like TikTok. Uh, but no, I mean, that's the thing, though. They're turning to all these, these other sources to try and figure out who they are. And, of course, culture is telling them, like, oh, well, you can just, whatever feels good is, is you know, what, what you're supposed to be. And that's not the case. All right. sorts of sins feel good, well, but that doesn't make them morally correct. They're trying to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a hole there that only Jesus can fill, and I experienced that. They're trying to fill that, you know, with all these things, and they're miserable. And it's interesting, you know, you're talking about that because, you know, you look at, any of these sins that people struggle with and it's always something god created god created male and female god created sex as a healthy thing every one of these are twisted versions of it it's always satan going in and twisting it and perverting it and making it you know shameful hurtful damaging and so it's always something that you know here here it is god created it in the right context then it's healthy, but if you go outside of that, it's gonna be it's gonna be hurtful. It's gonna be painful. So it's always just a twisting that Satan does there. He mm-hmm. he, he twists truth. He twists, mm-hmm. you know, things that God created to be healthy. Yeah. Counterfeits never as good as the original. Mm-hmm. Well, I have one last question. Um, and this is, again, Micah, if you want to answer this, you can. We've kind of already hinted at it, but I, I've got some other thoughts as well. Uh, but, Colin, what, what helped you to overcome that addiction? Hmm. When you have all of these pressures on yourself to perform and, oh, I can't fall into this, whatever, it actually makes it harder on you because you're putting more pressure on yourself to do it yourself. But when you step back and go, okay, number one, I'm human, doesn't excuse it, doesn't give me free reign to do whatever I want to do, but I'm going to give myself grace like Jesus gave me grace. Number two, Jesus died on the cross for this sin. So yes, he's covering this. It doesn't mean it's a free reign. Hey, I can go do whatever I want. It's covered by his blood. You know, I can go live the fun life that, you know, I want to live. No, it, it's, it's literally opposite. When you, when you change your mindset and realize it's not what you do, but it's striving to be like him, to, to live for him. That's where the true freedom comes. And for me, giving myself the grace, realizing, okay, this is probably going to be something I will struggle with the rest of my life. It will always be there. It will always be a temptation. But not falling into a pit of despair of, well, because I struggle with this, I'm probably never going to overcome, and um, I'm always going to go back to this source and doing it multiple times a day, whatever. It, 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 it frees you from what is it I have to do it becomes okay I'm doing I'm avoiding this because I number one I don't I live for Jesus every time I sin it hurts him I don't really want to be hurting him anymore 
You know, I'm hurting enough. I'm hurting people with this. I'm hurting myself with this. And so it's almost backwards thinking is when you when you feel accepted and you feel, um, you realize it's wrong, but you also give yourself the grace of, okay, if I do slip up with this, I'm just going to try harder tomorrow and I'm going to, I'm going to seek after him more fervently. That's what really helps you through it. What about some, what about some practical steps that you would advise someone? That's good. So again, we live in a day and age where technology is so prevalent and uh, I actually, I know a lot of people know this, but um, I recently deleted my Instagram because just about every time I logged on there, I saw a scantily clad woman. I mean, you know, it was just everywhere. There was no, there was no avoiding it. And so, you know, I decided it's not worth subjecting myself to that anymore. I'm just going to do away with that source. So being very careful, not saying all social media is just awful, that you can't find ways to maneuver around it. Um, I just, for me personally, I, I had a hard time getting on anything without seeing an ad or something. But um, being aware and setting up the safeguards like, like you know, Micah said, putting the thing on your, your internet, uh, you know, having somebody keep you accountable, tell, talking to somebody about it, that, that'll keep you accountable because guys don't really want to open up and talk about this. It's just not a very fun thing to disclose. And guys are already bad enough about wanting to be big macho, hey, I've got all of every, everything under control. So having somebody you can be vulnerable with and you can trust them to give you good, sound advice will help you keep from, from falling into it as much. Um, so yeah, definitely you know, find the, the safeguards on your technology. Find somebody you can talk to about it. Uh, for me personally, being in the Word frequently, the, the days that I'm just, I'd rather sleep in and just stay out of Scripture, it never fails that that day I tend to be tempted just a little bit harder than I normally would. And uh, so being in Scripture and always having truth on your mind so that when you are faced with temptation, you're just not going to automatically give in. Uh, but yeah, just surrounding yourself with people who you can be open and vulnerable with about, hey, I'm human, and this is this is something I struggle with, and uh, I'm definitely working towards um, total freedom from this. But you know, I'm striving to live for Jesus and not for myself. So um, those are just some pretty practical things. They've worked for me so far. I will second that. Accountability goes so unbelievably far. Mm -hmm. um, and like technology, fighting against technology uh, is definitely a big thing. I don't, I don't know about this, this Wi-Fi thing, but I do know there's something out there. It's like Triple X Church. That, that helps keep you accountable, mm -hmm. Covenant, but Covenant Eyes, yeah. So my, services. So those are paid subscriptions, to yeah. my knowledge. Whereas most Wi-Fi routers have a simple parental control setting where you can restrict adult explicit content. Yep. 
you can get more specific with that. Um, I'm not going to recommend any brands while I have my preferences. Um, I'm, I'm not advocating for one brand over another, but do your research. There are some that have much more user-friendly interfaces that are um, at times frustrating. Like ours, I'll try to go to Amazon and sometimes it'll think that's for some reason, reason the coding messes up. And it's like, well, yeah, that's frustrating, but it's that frustration's worth not dealing with the I'm temptation yeah. later. Um, and for parents that may have kids struggling with this, be aware that as Colin mentioned, there are probably loopholes and workarounds. So make sure you're educated in protecting uh, not only yourself, but your family. Mm-hmm. So this is something to take serious as all sins are, um, yeah, accountability is huge, though. Yeah. And, Go ahead. Well, <laughs> I will say, like, the Wi-Fi router thing is, is one thing for sure, but we all have the thing in our pockets that is yeah. a nightmare. Um, and I don't I don't know about, like, Androids or anything else, but I know with the iPhone, you can actually go into your settings. Uh, you go under screen time, and you can block content. You can put in specific websites, all adult content, everything, and it's set to a passcode that you could have someone else put in. I've done that. I, that's that's, what, that's all, honestly what's on I, my phone. I have like set I that just up on my phone as well. Yeah, my wife knows the password. Page is awesome. my password. Yep. 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 So that I think that is a game changer. If okay, you have an sure. iPhone, you need to you need to do that. Yeah. Well, and, and just to be clear, just because you haven't maybe struggled with this ever or in the past, or you're not struggling with it now, doesn't mean you shouldn't have safety mechanics in place like again i've never had a house fire i still have a fire extinguisher i still have smoke detectors i'm still going to protect myself against an attack or a fire yeah (laughs) (laughs) sorry so just because this may not have applied to you yet again there are free resources i'm not saying you need to go and spend money if it's not something that's come up but definitely even if you live by yourself and it's never been a temptation, what's the harm in doing some something as a protective precaution? So I don't know if you want to go back and add this, but um, something talking about the accountability and just having people around you. What I've discovered is Satan wants you to feel isolated. He wants you to feel like you are the only person that's struggling with this, so therefore you cannot tell anybody about it. And that's just so not true, obviously. I mean, just even sitting at this table, you know, we, all three of us are, are you know, have, have struggled with this at some point or still, you know, have to fight this. And so realizing that you're not isolated, you're not alone, mm-hmm. there are a lot of men out there that struggle with this. And, and again, that's one of the biggest lies from the enemy is that you're, you're alone in this, you're a freak. You don't need to tell anybody about this. Being in a place of where you feel alone and that you are helpless and nobody would understand, nobody, everybody would think you're a freak, that's the worst thing you could do because, again, you're, you're not alone. There are a lot of men's groups out there that you know are, are there for that very reason to make you realize, hey, number, it doesn't excuse it that everybody struggles with, but... You are not the only person who struggles with this. So learn from other people's mistakes or learn from their suggestions mm-hmm. on safety nets. So um, that's a huge one I've realized is do not feel like you are alone in this battle. Yeah, and add, I want to add something very briefly onto that. Um, 
men aren't the only one that struggle with this. More and more information is being released on how females, young girls are being introduced and, and struggling with it as well. And so um, I would preface when you're looking for an accountability partner, find someone of the same sex, um, find somebody that you trust. But for any females that may be going through this, you're not alone either. It's not uncommon. You may feel like it is. You may be told it is, but it's really not. So find a trusted person um, and be honest. There's a lot of freedom there. Psalm 73:28. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Thank you for listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing an episode with a friend. You can also follow us on social media. Just search underscore MV podcast on any platform. This podcast was created and produced by Micah Horvath and Kip Wilkinson. This episode is mastered and scored by J.A. Parkey. To learn more about this project, you can visit mvpodcast.org. Thank you so much for listening. Now go tell your story. Note to any of our young listeners, just have a staring contest. It's true. Uh, That's true. Good advice. Maybe, no, maybe I don't not. Think Please, Kip, I don't just think don't. Kip approves, but... We'll, we'll cut that. <laughs> just have a staring contest. There's a blooper. <coughs> we haven't had one in a while. Do y'all do bloopers? Sometimes. The last two we haven't. We've just been too professional. It's we've weird. just yeah. been way too focused.